0: Hello, and welcome to Who's Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we're talking about two versions of the same film, but they are really about as different as two versions of the same film can be. I Mm. think Suspiria from 1977, directed by Dario Argento, Mm. and Suspiria from 2018, directed by Luca Guadagnino. Mm. This was a request from a listener called William, so thank you for that. He actually requested the new version, but we've watched both because we'd never actually seen the original.
1: And, you know, I'm not a fan. Well, it's not that I'm not a fan, it's just I'm very ignorant. I've never been drawn to giallo or horror films.
0: Giallo. Giallo.
1: Or horror films, or, you know, it's not my favourite mode of cinema. I mean,. I've kept up with some of them because, you know, my job requires me to, to a degree. Mm. But it's never been an area of particular interest. Yeah. You know, I don't normally like being scared. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm too susceptible. As you've seen, I'm too susceptible in normal movies to jump off my seat, (laughs) you know, (laughs) much less this kind of cinema. So actually, I didn't know much about it. And I think that seeing uh, the Argento one, I can really understand why it's got the reputation that it has and why it's a cult film.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it is fair to call it a cult film, right? Yeah. Despite the fact that it's very well known. It actually feels like giallo is kind of a cult genre. Right? Yes. I think it's also called sometimes uh, spaghetti slashers in the right. same way that spaghetti westerns, you know, so it's like specifically yeah. Italian.
1: Yes, because my understanding of uh, gi- giallo or whatever, uh, you know, from the Italian perspective is like they are the equivalent of the Série Noir novels that got film noir names, so to speak, yeah? It's their detective, murders, yeah, that the, kind the, of thing. The
0: name came from a series of paperback novels, I think. Yeah, were the like, yellow cover. Right, exactly. Yeah. And they were thrillers, crime, that yeah. sort of thing. And the, then it became a film genre as well. Yeah,
1: but I think here in England, at least giallo suggests like the supernatural or witchcraft or slasher or that kind of thing right?
0: yeah i think we really specifically think about it in terms of film and not literature or yeah like that.
1: so i've never seen it before and i must say like from the first few minutes i mean i literally went wow yeah, yeah. yeah. you know because just the colors and the mise-en-scene it had a kind of you know a poetry about it really it, like, and literally in the first few shots yeah, when Jessica Harper comes out of the airport, yeah, and mm. you see her figure reflected in the light, and it creates kind of like this little supernatural thing, yeah, that mm. kind of it's almost like yeah, kind of she's walking in two directions or <laughs> and very fleetingly, right? Mm. And you think, oh my god, like this is a real filmmaker, you know? And when I saw the Guadagnino Suspiria. I thought, now I understand what the fuck everyone was talking about, you know, in relation to uh, what's the Peach movie.
0: (laughs) Call Me By Your Name. Call
1: Me By Your Name, because, you know, I really liked Call Me By Your Name, and I was, like, defending it. But actually, you see this, and it almost made my blood boil, really. When yeah. I wasn't bored, I was angry.
0: <laughs> well maybe we'll get on to that. Let's talk about the original Suspiria <laughs> first. Yes. Um, because I had a similar reaction to you in those first few minutes when she it's in the airport, she gets into the cab, she's arriving she's this American student who's arriving in Germany to join this dance academy. And you know, everything up until she arrives at the academy, it's his Giant red building, bright red, mm. um, and it's raining outside. And, and there's a woman coming out, and she's kind of muttering and upset and screaming. And it's just—I loved all that, and I was really taken in by the boldness of the visuals and the strength of the of the visual design. Mm. Um, and that started to lose its charm for me as I realised that the story was not very interesting, and actually, not that, not so much that it wasn't interesting, but that it felt like the film wasn't even interested in its own story. It was very superficial and all about the visual, what audio? Visual?
1: Well, I'm not sure about that because I think the visuals in uh, the Argento film suggest something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was really taken by the by the imagery. Uh, so, you know, the, th- the 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 moment where the pianist goes to walk into the city, right, and you see what are obviously, like, fake official buildings, but he's in the middle of the square, you know, and then the dog is possessed and mm. turns on him. It's almost like you feel this, like, I don't know, this existential aloneness or... Yeah, like, that actually, you know, the the scene itself and what it suggests goes beyond what you're seeing. It kind of reverberates, yeah? In a way that, again, I can't help myself, so nothing in what or <laughs> does, right? He tries to stuff it with importance, but it lacks moments like those, yeah, that you're saying something very simple, but that it really suggests something deeper.
0: I mean, I felt like there was nothing in Guadagnino's version that was as being a waste of time as that scene with the dog. The oh, Black I love
1: dog. that scene with the no, dog.
0: No, I thought that was tedious. Are you kidding? No, I'm uh, not kidding. Why would I kid?
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> you're a kidder, babe. <laughs> I, mean,
0: I think it's interesting, <laughs> it's interesting that you know, clearly when we came out of both these films, we had we had different reactions. I definitely thought the Guadagnino's version was superior to uh, Argento's. Oh, it's I new, completely disagree. And you completely the other way around. What I also want to say before we go any further, is that there will be spoilers coming up. And that may not be that critical for the original film, which I think people kind of know, but certainly for the newer one, which does take the story in different directions. There are spoilers coming up, so we are going to talk about the whole lot.
1: Yes. Let me tell you, you know, so some people make great claims for the original Suspiria, right? I think it made the New York Times list of top 100 films and so on. Mm. I mean, I wouldn't go there, Mm. Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, I think, you know, he seems to be a fascinating director. And the film is is beautiful and in many ways dazzling. Like, you know, some of the ways that the things were conceptualized, like you have this glass of wine, yeah, that is so close in that it melts with the door. I mean, Mm. you know, those things are just, you know, if you're interested in cinema, it's stunning. The score... Right? And the, you know, the or way. White
0: Goblin, a prog rock band from Italy.
1: I have no idea who they are. Mm. But it's full of, for me, fascinating things. You know, the scene where she first goes into the school at night, you know, and then there's the other woman running in the forest, right? And the way that it's filmed so that it has like a slight echo or, you know, she's going through the trees so she's coming in and out of the image. Mm. I mean, those are really kind of beautifully done, yeah. And. You know, I think the conceptualization of it is fascinating. And any image of that is worth like a thousand of Guadagninos, <laughs> I mean.
0: I think what I like overall about the aesthetic of the original, and, and I think it is a film that is entirely aesthetic, is this kind of fairy tale thing. And I said to my brother, we're watching Suspiria, and I know he's, he's big into it, he likes it. And he said, oh, fairy tale, fairy tale. And he said that Dario Argento apparently is a big fan of Disney's Snow White.
1: Yes,
0: and you can kind of see in the Technicolor the boldness of those of those images. In it's fact, I think amazing. Didn't, people, didn't people say about Technicolor that it only did bold colors? Yes, you know, and, and they're used to their advantage here. Yes. and there is this kind of generalized fairy tale thing going on. But I do think it's it's not even a theme; it's really a flavour. Like everything is just there to flavour the film. So you have this kind of fairy tale. It's almost like a fairy tale castle where all these girls live uh, and guys. Um, mm. And you know, there's that one scene where. Uh, Jessica Harper's on the phone. I forget who too. It's moonlight, I think, coming in through the window, and there's a kind of flower there, and it's almost like it really reminded me of the room with the rose in, in *Beauty and the Beast*, which mm. was you know 15 years after this, but mm. you know what I mean? Mm. Had that had that similar feeling. Um, I also think you know obviously it's witches, and that's pretty Snow White, that's pretty fairy tale, mm. and you know the occult, but I do think these things just flavour the film. And actually, when I when you try and think. Is it saying anything? What does it add up to? I really don't think I can't find more to say than it's like Snow White with murders.
1: Well, I'm not sure about that. I think there are other things, you know, that are being said. I'm not sure I could be cogent, you mm. know, and rationalize them or kind of think them through because, you know, we've just seen one film after the other. Mm. But for me, it well, first of all, it makes you feel in particular ways, yeah, you know, and you are very attuned you know, to them. You were also attuned to what the film was trying to do that it couldn't quite pull off, right? So there's a kind of an amateurishness to it, right? Particularly in the acting. You know, you get a sense that there's, like, all of these women who were cast just because they were beautiful and they would take their clothes off, (laughs) right? And they were available, you know, and they probably got them off some strip joint or something. So on the one hand, you have, like, this really accomplished mise-en-scene, and then you have all these awkward... bits that go along with it right so it's not as professional in quotation marks as it could be production
0: values are mixed yeah because the production values of the visual design are epic yeah they are they're incredible
1: They're, they're incredible and actually and i think the you know the laying out of uh of themes of you know there is like this thing in the first one about america and europe and you know this thing about you know, being alone and orphaned and without money and finding a community. But actually, this community is like your worst nightmare, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And there's also the thing of ballet being ethereal and beautiful and, you know, aspiring, like, I don't know, almost to godliness or something. Yeah, there is something about ballet that is so graceful and light and, Mm. you know. Uh, and of course, it ends up being like a witch's coven. Right? <laughs> you know? So I think the film is doing really interesting things. Yeah, The blind man who relies on his dog for direction, who ends up being consumed by him. right? Mm. I mean, I think if you put all of those things together and think them through, I'm sure really interesting things come out of it. They're in the film. And they're not only in the film... But they, or at least they made me feel, Mm. you know, and with very suggestive images, yeah? So the thing with the dog in that town square, I think it's beautiful, a man alone in an empty city, Mm. you know, with only his dog to guide him and instead the dog consumes him, Mm. you know? I mean, I thought that was like, you know, there's a metaphor there, right? (laughs) Uh, You know, and it, it kind of hit me, right? It got to me. The woman trying to escape... You know, and being ensnared in what looks like a huge spider web, right? But obviously, it's just like plastic, (laughs) you know, strings or whatever it is. Which group was that? In the house, yeah. The woman who falls, yeah, who tries to run from one I thought that was like
0: barbed wire, like razor blades.
1: Well, it might be razor blades. To me, it looked like a spider's web. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I think the design was to be ensnared in that. Yeah, right? no, I think
0: I think you're right about that. But yeah.
1: obviously they didn't pull it off. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So but I don't mind that. I don't mm. mind if you know, if the idea is there, you know, but the realisation is not realistic in quotation marks. I thought the original had a campy quality. Mm. right? It's both about itself and it's also ironizing a little bit what it's doing. Mm. Yeah, without removing the effect. I think you could see that partly in the casting, yeah? I thought Alida Vali, you know, as like this matron, (laughs) military, slightly Nazi, or, you know, it has those connotations. And, of course, she was in The Third Man, you might recognize her, Mm. you know, from... And she was in that wonderful film, the Visconti film, and I forget the name, where she's a woman in love who basically betrays her country for the for the man she loves. She runs all over Venice, I think it is. Well it was it Milan? It's it's from the fifties. Who did you say it was by? Visconti. Visconti. Senso. 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 It's beautiful, you know. So she's the woman madly in love in Senso, and she's also in Bertolucci's nineteen hundred. And she's in Hitchcock, that uh, film with Gregory Peck, I forget.
0: The Paradine Case. The
1: Paradine Case.
0: And Antonioni? Il Grido.
1: Il Grido. Oh, yes, my God, Il Grido. Yeah, <laughs> my God. Well, that's such a great film. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my, my favourites, in fact. Like, her presence brings all of that. And then, of course, Joan Bennett, who I just realised, seeing the film, that I had never seen her in colour. Yeah. Oh, really? I, this is the first time, you know, I always associated with film noir and the the Fritz Lang films and the old fools films and you know and so on and so forth and I was I was struck by the color of her eyes I thought you know she was so beautiful yeah and she was very much herself in her way of speaking so and you could tell they had a low budget and she was doing reams of dialogue in one (laughs) setup and you know so it has all of those little problems and not very
0: good dialogue
1: and not very good dialogue (laughs) And then it also had Udo Kier Mm -hmm. and Miguel Bose, which adds a further layer of campiness to it. So for me, it was full of pleasures, you know, from the casting, you know, to the mise en scène, to what it's dealing with, really. Um, So I liked it very much, and I can understand why people think of it as a great film.
0: I can definitely understand why people get attached to it, Mm. and why it had influence mm. and you know why people think of it so fondly but I think that I had expectations of it because of that that weren't met and they were rudimentary expectations such as I should have something to care about again I think this comes down to the film not showing an interest not feeling like it has an interest in its characters or stories to the point where so I don't care about them either I didn't feel like it was asking me to care about them actually it's all about the effect That's, I, think, I think there's an element of truth
1: in that actually But I also didn't mind because it's Mm. not that kind of film.
0: Maybe it's just that I'm not on its wavelength, right? Maybe actually this is this genre of film. Maybe this is common to it, Mm. and actually it's just something you have to buy into.
1: I mean, I think so because the majority of these films, at least in Spain, yeah, the equivalent ones, you know, that Jesús Franco made. I mean, it's part of a whole genre whose only function is really to scare you Mm. and to show you women in various suggestive stages. I mean, in the early films, not even of undress (laughs) or anything, right? Mm. You know, and I think it's an interesting genre because the genres of male frustration, yeah... So it's like, show me your tits and I'll kill you, basically. (laughs) It's like, yeah. yeah, Or like, let's get this woman naked and figure out like 25 different ways of like torturing and killing her. and yeah. So it speaks like a kind of a misogyny and a sexual frustration and, Mm. you know, this genre, I think. Which actually this film is not quite... Yeah, so it's of that genre and it has the awkwardness and the basic premise and... You know, mm. kind of there is I mean it is about women in a dorm, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it doesn't go in that prurient misogynist direction you know that so many of them do, yeah,
0: no, it's a tonal quality, yeah, because on the core of it, you could say, well, it's women dying and women being perpetrators, yeah, you know, and like you could you could read that very clearly as misogyny, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's a it's a tonal aspect, it's an attitude. As well, and that's not conveyed. That's not conveyed in tone yeah. by the film.
1: So I think all of that makes it really interesting to me. You know, mm. yeah, and and I, I mean, I don't know if I'm attributing the campiness, right, or if it's something that is put there for you. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's not Rocky Horror, is it? I mean, I think it's. I think it's maybe something that you find. In it yourself. That's what it feels well, like
1: to me. Maybe I mean, certainly you know. I mean, at that time, Udo here and Miguel Bosé were like practically children, right? <laughs> I mean, Miguel Mosé must have been a teenager then, right? Not like not even in his in his maybe twenty or something. He, he would
0: have been twenty twenty
1: one. Okay, yeah. So I am now bringing a knowledge of all that happened afterwards and the kinds of films and mm. performances they end up doing afterwards. You know, but I think. You know, the use of Joan Bennett. I mean, she did do Dark Shadows on television, which, yeah, was supernatural. But, you know, the uses of, of Joan Bennett and uh, uh, Ali La Yeah, and there's also something, you know, about the super aesthetization and the matter-of-factness of the horror, yeah, mm-hmm. that kind of... It's an interesting tone. I'm not, I'm not quite would sure you, is, about it.
0: Would you say matter-of-factness? I mean, it's hardly um, it, it, it's hardly sort of anatomically. It's just, I mean, it's it's really it ramped up. It's really ramped up. <laughs> but what I
1: mean is, you know, yeah, maybe matter of fact. Well, it's quite gruesome. It is. It, well, It's quite florid. <laughs> yeah. So it's true. So let me uh, rephrase that. By matter of fact, I mean that you know that it's going to happen. Right. right? And they find ingenious ways of presenting it to you mm. that, in a certain way, surprise and delight, yeah? You know, the whole beginning, yeah, with the two women and, mm. you know, one of them ends up kind of falling through... The glass ceiling. The glass ceiling, and then somehow the wire gets caught in her neck so she gets hung. Yeah. I mean...
0: The glass ceiling, now, that, that could be a metaphor. Well... Falling through the glass ceiling.
1: I'm not sure. (laughs) So by matter of fact, I mean that it's expected that, you know, every so often you're going to have one, you know, uh, a woman being killed in in a certain way. So that's what I mean by the matter of factness, I suppose. Uh, But maybe, I don't know, the regularity or the expectation that it will happen might be a better term. And I thought the ending was like amateurish and genius. Right. So, I mean, this whole clue about the flower, you know, it felt like an episode of, you know, what's the Angela Lansbury program? <laughs> Murder, she Murder, wrote. Murder, she wrote. Oh, the iris. <laughs> you know, the clue was in the iris. I mean, that was so dumb. Right. And then there was also, like, I thought, you know, when I was a student, I knew people who decorated their rooms like that. <laughs> right. They painted their walls mauve. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, so it had that kind of homemade quality but, you know, I was with it, you know, and I thought it was like kind of conceptually so interesting, these secret doorways, this passageway, where, you know, where are they going to off? You initially kind of said, I mean, we were talking about who was going to be like the murderer. the murderer, right? I mean, I thought, well, it has to be one of the women because, you know, there were no men and <laughs> an important enough character, right? But I mean, it was like
0: a dude's hand. That's what I was thinking. Like, uh, at the start, it seemed to be like a bloke's hand that was coming in from, from out of frame to do some stabbings. Yeah,
1: so I think you're minimising now the effect of that because, you know, I didn't know there were witches, right? Yeah,
0: he did say, because I said, oh, I reckon it's probably Satan, what about you? And he went, oh, no, it's got to be witches.
1: Well, I th- at a certain point in the narrative, <laughs> it's, you know, you know it's got to be witches. Um... But you know, I think all of that um developed organically and to me was you know relatively a surprise right and you know and this idea that it's an old witch who's been living there since the eighteen thirties and mm. who basically needs a new body or something is how i understood it right? yeah I think so. uh i found i found I found all of that kind of. Interesting. I don't want to make too great. It's hardly original,
0: really. The, the, the you know, sacrifice of a young girl to take over the body. No,
1: I mean, it's not original, though. You know, I don't know. Where does it date from? I mean. Well, I do I think
0: mean, that, yeah, it's one of these things that goes back to these old, old. I think fairy tale kind of story yeah and were,
1: actually I think they're middle they actually run they're actually they middle European ones in a way right like Dracula and so on mm. so you know I thought the whole thing with the Romanians was really interesting mm-hmm. you know the fact that it was a coven, the, the look of the women yeah and the working in the kitchen when they heard something they came <laughs> out with a butcher's knife I mean I thought all of that was
0: great especially fun. in Germany as well I think because that is kind of you know what, what the Brothers Grimm are German and that is the kind of seat of a lot of the imagery Yes. That it draws on.
1: Yes. So I like that. I liked, I didn't mind uh, the awkwardness uh, or, you know, those moments of amateurs. In fact, I do think they add to a certain kind of campy quality, which I also enjoyed.
0: The Uh, dubbing is part of that as well. Because at the start, we're going, is is it English, this? Is it? Because it was dubbed in English. And, you know, a little bit of rudimentary research reveals that actually Italian cinema of this time. People just tended to, they were often cast with actors from many, many different countries, as this is. People would say their lines in their own language, and as the films travelled around different countries, they would be dubbed into those languages. So, really, there's no, you're thinking, oh, should we watch the Italian version or the English version? There's no real sense of a dominant version, actually.
1: Well, there might be for certain kinds of films, but actually not for others. And I do think it's a mark of a sophisticated viewer, and certainly of a critic, if you're going to be adequate you know, in the job at all, that you have knowledges and expectations of different types of cinema, yeah? And kind of, you don't assume, Mm. you know, the same ones for this type of cinema and for that type of cinema. And actually, you could argue, you know, that, like, in a lot of Hollywood cinema, a kind of a professionalism, you know, because for a glossy, big-budget kind of expert look, all you need is money, right? Mm. You know, so... You learn to look at those films in a different way, and actually, having that glossy, professional look and feel can often hide a paucity of ideas, and mm. you know, and so on. So you don't go into this type of European '60s and '70s genre cinema, which by definition was low budget, yeah, uh, with the same kinds of expectations, and they would all have been dubbed, you know. So the sonic qualities would be very variable. But that's, that's a minor flaw if it's compensated by imagination and ideas.
0: It would be interesting to try and find out the budget, but a, a, a quick search is not giving me anything, because cause you say, by definition, it would be low budget, and certainly in comparison to Hollywood. I think, in it, fact... But, the, you know, Argento was a successful <coughs> filmmaker by this point. He was a successful
1: filmmaker. I read in Wiki that, you know, the film had money from one of the studios, and might have been 20th Century Fox, um, so, you know, it would have had a higher budget than most uh, uh, films of this type, which explains the casting, mm. right? Um, but nonetheless, I'm sure it would have been made for a budget, yeah? And it was also quite successful in the States, I understand. I read in the wiki page, I think, that... Fox it, acquired
0: the rights, so I think that, that seems ah, to have after rights. it
1: was made. Okay. Um, and then it released and
0: it was the seventh most successful Fox film of the year, I understand. Despite initial reservations based on violent mm. content, the film's American release was commercially successful and proved to be Fox's seventh highest grossing release of the year in theatrical rentals. And there you go. All of all America. of Argento's films, this was his highest grossing in the US.
1: So my memory's not as bad. So. <laughs>
0: um, Is that memory of a thing long past or something that you read 20 minutes ago? Hard <laughs> <I'm> out again. <laughs> 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 um,
1: so. Let's uh, uh, move on to the, what, the, the remake. Yeah, which um, I hate.
0: Is there nothing you like about it? No, of
1: course. There's many things I like about it. I like. I really like um, Dakota Fanning. Mm. You know <laughs> Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson, who who grows on me, you know, because I saw. I th- at the beginning of the film, you think, oh, she's so wan and uninteresting. And she becomes more and more interesting as the film progresses, I think.
0: That's the you same know. as she's in Fifty Shades of Grey, which well, is a surprisingly I, good film. The I, sequels, not so much. But the first one, honestly, worth a go.
1: Well, I haven't seen it. Yeah. And I love Tilda Swanton. Sw- Swinton. Swinton, in the role as a witch, because she's also... The Doctor. The Doctor. And she's quite good as a Doctor, though I think, Why? Right? Yeah, like, because she, she's playing this aged male doctor under yeah. a lot of makeup. Yeah, why? Like, I actually, you know, I'm trying to make a connection. Why have the same character? Can you imagine what a pain in the ass it must have been every day to put on all that makeup on her? <laughs> you know, and it's just to feed an actor's ego, because really, it doesn't bring anything to the film at all that it's the same person playing that.
0: No, the thing is, if you know, or if you can tell, then the one kind of link that the film explicitly draws is the link between the scenes where the uh, dance teacher, the female dance teacher that she plays, sits on the bed with Dakota Johnson. And then later, right at the end, Dakota Johnson sits on the bed with mm. the Doctor. And there's this kind of mirroring of those scenes. But, you, I mean, you're right, it, it, there's no... It feels completely purposeless, really. Mm. To, you know, just, like, noticing that is doing it a, a big, solid... Yes, he <laughs> you know, doesn't need it, right? It could just be you could have cast an old man. Yes, <laughs> you could have. So let me ask you, why? What, what did you like about it? I think it's much more ambitious, and maybe that's um, well, ambitious. Yes, you know, <laughs> but maybe that's to be, to be taken for granted because like, what, is, what is the ambition of Argento Suspiria? It's to thrill. Yes. You know, it's like a ghost. Right, actually, it reminded me to some degree of Drag Me to Hell which I know you oh, love. I love, it's, yeah, it's this love kind of allegory me, of, of yeah. uh, corporate America. And it doesn't have that, I don't think. I didn't see a way to read it as kind of deeply allegorical or anything, but the thing that Drag Me to Hell had that I think the original Suspiria has is uh, an assault on the senses, right? That opening scene of Drag Me to Hell was just, it, in the cinema, it was devastatingly loud as this kind of portal to hell opens up and you thought, oh my God, what's going on? And actually the thing I ended up not liking about it was that it just didn't stop. Throughout the film, just noise and mm. flashing lights all the way through, like a ghost train, right? I think I think the original Suspiria is much more successful than that at using its visuals to, to thrill. Um, this doesn't have that ambition. The ambitions that the new one has are to draw links between, I think, the modern world, allegorically, and the world of 40 years ago where it's set in 19, well, 1977 and the world 40 years before that, yes. in you know, the beginnings of the Holocaust and the beginnings of the war. Um, everyone is kind of living in the film with with the past amongst them. So, so I think it's really interesting that the film has this backdrop behind it of the RAF, the Red yeah. Army Faction, also known as the Bader meinhof Group or Bader meinhof Gang, mm. who were these radical left militants mm. in Germany at the time, and it's set explicitly... During the German Autumn of 1977, which was when you you, you were an that you remembered this. Yes, this um,
1: the hijacking of the Lufthansa hijacking of a plane
0: and taking prisoner, kidnapping yes. of a high-ranking German official who had been a Nazi. Yes, because the thing is, they were furious about the fact that so many, you know, so many Nazis and Nazis of high ranking were still in. Positions of power, mm. you know. This hadn't they hadn't been a purge, there hadn't been real denatification I know, and they had a lot of um, they had a lot of support, right? Until they killed that guy.
1: I know, but you see, now you're reading kind of, uh, what does this have to do
0: with witches? Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the things, but I think, the, but the thing is, it's so it's it's not it's not an accident. The film is set with this background. No, right? it's not. And people are dealing with their past and dealing with, and so. The, uh, I am, I am about to agree with you that it's not being too generous to notice that the film wants to draw these links. Exactly. It's, we it,
1: know the film wants to draw those links.
0: Right. And it's not being too generous to give it some credit for trying to do that. I think well, it is being generous. No, I,
1: I, I, th- I, I want to do the opposite. I want to attack it for trying to do that. So, you know, because I think it has nothing to do with the centre of the story unless you want to do something... Really banal with it to talk about the evilness of witches, you know, which is like no, I'm not mythological sure. and so on in relation to actual real historical events. Which is no, I know. don't
0: think it is trying to do that. I think that I think that would be too banal as well. Well, and, and I think It, I think um, it is, I, it is you know, insulting. Have, <laughs> uh, uh, what I was going to say. Why was, put it there at all? Then what I was going to say was: it's not too generous to, to see that it's trying to do these things. It is too generous to help it get there. You know, to put in so much work to help it make those links in your head. but yes. right? I think the film could do it more explicitly and better. But I think you have this thing with the witches about this power struggle, right, between the witch played by uh, Tilda Swinton yes. and the witch you eventually see. I forget the name, Mother, whatever her name was, who's the really desiccated, ugly, yeah. odd one they, who's, who wants to take Dakota Johnson's body, really? right? It's connected to dance, right? Because like this, this old witch that you finally see at the end, she has no beauty in her anymore, no beauty in her life. And she explicitly denounces art mm. in, in a line of dialogue, right? Where she, she spits it mm. at Tilda Swinton, you know, it's not art, she says. And Tilda Swinton is someone who you're kind of being conditioned to see her as uh, evil, it's too strong, but you know, kind of threatening and up to something. Mm. Right, when you see her throughout the film and particularly in the scene where she gives Dakota Johnson powers. You know, she touches her hands, touches her feet, and you see this glow that she leaves. And then, as Dakota Johnson dances, she kills this other student mm. who's trying to leave, mm. basically, right? And I think it's a brilliant scene the way it, I don't like it. cuts across space. But as the film develops, Tilda Swinton Develops feelings. Right, you know, she softens, or well, you see a softening in her to the point where When it gets to the scene where Dakota Johnson is presenting herself to be sacrificed for the sake of this old witch, she's not up for it, right? She's trying to warn her away from it, essentially, without saying that in in so many words. And I think it, it connects to dance because she believes in dance. She believes in beauty. It's not just a front for her. Like the thing about this thing about the dance. School being a front for the witches. It's like it's actually. It's not just. It's not like a laundrette laundering money. It's actually something she believes in. This thing about the dance, this Volk dance that they performed in 1948 or, or created yeah. 1948. Volk is, I think, a I think, quite a a charged term in German. If you think about the Volkswagen, right? Yeah, think yeah. about like the Nazis tried to like reclaim and or folk culture claim like. folk culture for themselves yeah, yeah. to make Nazis kind of connected with German. And I think the idea of this vogue dance is a reclamation of that. And I think it's a reclamation Well, but of- I just think it's
1: awful. I hated the dance sequences. I mean, you know, this guy couldn't film a dance if his fucking life depended on it. I knew e- you were
0: going to say this, and I disagree with
1: you. Well, you know, wh- what's, what's good... I'll tell you what's bad. Why... why, no, no, why no, what, we-
0: what you're going to say about what's bad is that you don't see any moves completed. No, that's not what I was going to say. No. No. Really? Then I can't predict you here. <laughs> I, was, I was so sure that was coming. What I liked about the dance, particularly the Vogue dance, which you do see performed, is the intensity of it. And that there's something else going on during it. You know, it it's, it's not just about the dance that you're seeing, it's about the looks that characters are sharing with each other, and the information or the, the, the kind of, whatever it is, just the characters thought, exchanging things between them.
1: I thought the filming of it was amateurish in the extreme. Yeah, go on. You got no sense of formations. The camera was plonked normally far away in the last sequence with, uh, you know, the witches killing each other where you had all of this frenetic dancing. It was like a super wide angle shot where you were meant to see the formations of the dancers, but really kind of, you know, far away. And, you know, with the dance not being conveyed at all, neither the dance nor the choreography nor anything was having an effect. The guy doesn't know how to film dance, even for effect. So I thought those two scenes, yeah, kind of, you know... Well, three, the rehearsal dance, the dance where the Albert, the Joseph character comes to watch, and the final thing with the coven is amongst the worst film dance I've ever seen.
0: I think that the, the dancing in the coven... Is not great, but I also think it's really not the point of that scene. But I agree that it's not like showing the dancing off.
1: Well, it's not just that it's not showing the dancing off, it's that it's not using the dancing expressively and purposefully to use, you know, the rhythms and to find angles and camera movement to evoke something in the audience. You know, the dancing there is just kind of contributing to a particular plot point mm -hmm. without evoke without getting the audience feel you know through the dance itself which is a waste of the dance
0: yeah right? no, sure you know
1: so i thought that, i um, think the Vo-
0: i think the vote dance is is much more successful and i think it's really interestingly choreographed i think it's uh, maybe it's because you maybe come to it with some um expectation of it being ballet maybe unfairly but it's really not you know it's it's well, earthy and it's and it's quite vicious. It's
1: got good dancers. It's
0: got interesting
1: choreography. The, f- the director doesn't know what to do with it. At I think all. there's a
0: huge variety of camera angles. Well,
1: but let me give you an example, because you know there is a huge variety of camera angles. Too many of them, you know, and none of them kind of effective. I mean, there's that whole scene where she says, "I want you to jump. I want you to feel like it is for to ju- jump. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you have to do this and extend your leg, or you know." a better director would have made you feel it when the when the girl was doing it, you know? And here, it's like, you know, well, first flat, you just see a close-up of the feet, blah, blah, then you see her in the air, blah, blah. But, you know, nothing evokes that feeling of what it is to do that, or actually what it is to be constrained from doing that in the beginning. I agree I thought, with that. Uh, yeah. I agree with that, so but I, I wouldn't... I amateur night and Dixie when it comes
0: to... <laughs> I but, wasn't even but, thinking of that because I wasn't. Th- I was. I wouldn't have called that a dancing. That's a rehearsal. It's, yeah, I mean, I it's maybe that's a, maybe that's spitting hairs. I think of a dancing as the dance, a scene where people are. Dancing. Well, the
1: people are dancing in rehearsal, right? Yeah. Like, She's yeah. jumping.
0: I mean, that's a jumping. Well, scene. there's stuff
1: that preceded that and stuff that followed it. So at that moment, you know, the teacher's not happy with her jump and makes her do it and over and over and over again. It becomes a big dramatic point. So actually, a better director would have expressed it, you know, through the dance and visually. You know, no, I, th- than... I think
0: that scene could have been better. Certainly, yeah. I mean, I agree with you, and I think it could have been filmed better in all the ways you say. I just, I would, because it's not a set piece, right? That's what I would consider a dance okay, scene. Set it's... piece, anyway. Um, I think to kind of finish that overall point I was making about you know whether the witches connect to mm. <laughs> the kind of historical guilt or the kind of evil they lived yes. in them. that's kind of it. Like there is a feeling with that old witch of of the corrupt hierarchy. Like it's it's not unlike the corrupt. Higher ups in the German system. Still, I think you're reaching. Well, that's the thing, right? I think it's that's where I think I think it is being too generous to make that link in a way that the film is forcing me to.
1: Yeah, because if you follow it consistently, you can't make it. Because, oh, what happens then? is like Suspiria wins everything. You know, she wins the Battle of the Witches. But, okay. you know, witches and evil still exist in, in the world, right? You know. I think it's
0: interesting that witches aren't explicitly evil. In this. Like, there is something... You know, they, they definitely do bad things. They have got up to bad things, and you see it throughout the film. But it's certainly the case... I th- maybe not certainly. I think it's the case that they're not explicitly coded as evils in the world well they're
1: certainly killing a lot of people in very painful ways throughout the film <laughs> they are, but it's, so, but it's nice they're, they're not that, <laughs> that,
0: like I, said, I think the dancing in particular is, is that there's something about resistance in it mm. you know like this this vogue thing is about kind of resistance to what the nazis try to take from us you know
1: mm. i mean i think the whole nazi thing it just it doesn't work uh i i also think the whole setting it in the 1970s, really constricts the film. It looks gray and flat. You know, they're trying to um, symbolize things. So it's very significant. You know, part of setting it in the 70s is that you have the Berlin Wall throughout, Mm. right? So, you know, these people are all living in a kind of a a prison, you know, uh, even when they're outside. You know, it's kind of, you know, you see the wall. And you think, okay, well, you know, what about the wall? How is our protagonist imprisoned? Even in her thoughts, are, you can't, you know, like the film is putting all these things there, and then you just can't connect them.
0: The thing that's more interesting than the wall, which I agree, I I didn't feel anything was really made of, was the uh, the banners outside the doctor's flat in yeah. the kind of courtyard where he lives because they're these explicitly left wing resistance. Hmm. He, in support of the RAF yes. and so on. And, you know, he, he's an interesting figure because I think he's someone who you are probably supposed to see ambiguity in his history.
1: No, the film offers contradictory things. I just think the film could have lost that character, to be honest. I thought, ugh, another character overladen with, you know, symbolism. Because the story basically is that he waited too late... To get his wife out of Berlin. Mm. She couldn't get home to get her papers proving she was an Aryan. And died in a concentration camp. And he's felt... Well, he, ha- he hasn't known what happened to her. And he's felt guilt and shame ever since. I mean, it's, it's a film that's really trying to, to do too much and offers too little. And has too little artistry. There's not a single image worth looking at. I thought the use of the music I think music, that's so unfair. No, it's not. So
0: unfair. No, it's not. So unfair. The stu- no. I mean the-
1: It's a it's you know kind of a dispassionate statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, name one. Dispa- one. Well,
0: name dispa- one. Well, like a uh, name one. I th- I-, I already <laughs> told you. I think the scene where, you know, through telepathy or telekinesis, she kills the other girl. Oh, I hated that. It's brilliantly put together. I don't think so. And brilliantly conceptualised. I I don't agree. I mean,
1: it's cross-cutting, you know, from one to the other. It's like, you know, absolute basic...
0: What's wrong that's such a non-argument. It's so basic. So much filmmaking is just filming a person, filming the reverse shot, it's basic but you love it. That's not, an, a, well, not a fair if it,
1: criticism. It, well if it works I love it, but I didn't think it was like particularly distinguished. It wasn't evoking anything. You know, it wasn't even evoking much of a connection or, you know, how the suffering of one was, you know, either intentional or unintentional by the other. You know, the linking between them, particularly in what we get to know subsequently that, you know, she's the big bazooka of all witches. I mean, she must have been feeling something. She must have been knowing that this was how... Ha- I mean, you know, something could have been hinted or foreshadowed or... I mean, it's a really flat scene. Well, I, think reason, I think it's a very basic for I think it's worth scene. a second viewing.
0: I mean, I would be interested to see it again for that, for that revelation to see if it does, you know, kind of crop up here and there in ways that you didn't notice. But well, I think that, for me, that scene is about the weaponization of a woman's body. I think that's interesting, and I think that well, links that in. I think that links in with again with dance and the way oh, dance is conceptualized by the Tilda Swinton character as powerful. You know, I think the thing. I think well, definitely,
1: because I mean, here dance is being used to kill somebody.
0: Yeah, but also, in, like I say, in that Vogue dance that is a kind of centerpiece, it's powerful for a different reason. It's mm. it, you know, powerful artistically, right? Well, and I think what's something that's interesting generally about witches and witchcraft is the idea that it's an expression of female power that doesn't require male permission to have. And that's why it's so threatening to men.
1: Well, yes. And I think that's why it's so interesting. I think that's why it's so interesting. And therein also lies my criticism of the film, Mm -hmm. you know, because the film likes to have it both ways, right? You know, it kind of, you know, some of the feminist elements in it come from some of the things that the witches say, Right, Yet, you know, the witches are the most evil and they revel in their evil and so on. And who's the good person in the film is basically the doctor, right, mm-hmm. who is a man, yeah, but of course who ends up being played by Tilda Swinton. So, you know, there might be layers to, to unpeel there. But I think it's a really muddled film. I think it looks really ugly and not in an expressive way. You know, it, it's grey and the shots don't seem to have been thought through in relation to compositions, you know, to the expressive power of a composition. You know, I couldn't detect any patternings, uh, and I hated the look of it. Yeah, it's
0: saving all the colour till the end, though. Sorry? Saving all the colour till the end. See, what's, what Argento does, he goes, colour, 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 colour. And what Granadino does is goes, no colour for two hours. And then at the end, everything is blood red. Yeah, but
1: it, ne- it needed to have been that ugly, you know. Uh, and you were saying, well, that's the way Berlin is. And, <laughs> and, and, yeah but I said
0: that with, yeah, with a bit of like entirely seriously
1: no no we were talking because the image was so grey yeah and you said you know but that's the way that's Berlin, Berlin certainly and, is. and Berlin is grey but they were fucking indoors <laughs> like, you know, like, I mean it's grey you know, and, and you have like these young girls with ambition that are being manipulated and there's witches and you know there should be all this intensity and what you're watching is this boring grey. And it's boring. It's not even, like, interestingly used grey. It's just flat grey throughout. I mean, it's... Uh, I hated it.
0: I didn't hate it. I didn't say I didn't love it. But I definitely liked it more than the original because I, I think there's... Well, there's more to latch onto. Than I think the original, once you have appreciated that it has this extraordinary kind of visual style and, and kind of wildness, there was nothing even, you know, nothing slightly below that surface for me to really get attached to. to and I felt, and actually I felt that really significantly because I felt that even the murders, I wasn't enjoying, like I wasn't getting the thrill or the excitement or the, or the, you know, just like the, the, laugh of how they went or anything like that in the original. Whereas in the second one, I kept on being interested in the murders and tortures because I did have something to latch onto with the characters, who were suffering them.
1: Well, you know, I, I mean, I know nothing about Guadagnino, yeah. right, so I could be completely, you know, off uh, uh, the wall, but my feeling in watching the films was that Dario Argento is an artist and Luca Guadagnino comes across as some posh kid, <laughs> you know, trying to be significant without, you know, having a sense of the form that he's working in. Mm. And I have now seen quite a lot of Guadaguino films and I've liked them to different degrees. But this is the first time I really feel like this is such crap. <laughs> and such uh, pretentious uh, crap. I
0: think pretentious uh, is uh, definitely too harsh. Uh, uh, you know, I think pretentious is, is definitely too
1: harsh. I think it's comp- it's pretentious in the extreme. And that includes the, the dual casting of Tilda Swinton. You know, I can imagine their
0: discussions. <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine quite a lot <laughs> well just like I can imagine Dario Argento going fuck it who cares about the story like, I can imagine things too
1: well I mean I'm saying it you know because I, I also I, I, I listened to Tilda Swinton had this conversation with John Berger you know I love John Berger I love Tilda Swinton and the conversations between them were like maybe I'm just not an artist you know but they were really so pretentious uh, and I could just, um, but at least, you know, she's a fantastic actress and John Berger is, I've, I'm, I've never read his novels, you know, but I've certainly read his essays, he's a wonderful thinker, right? So, you know, that kind of reaching, I kind of, you know, in a way I, I found it pretentious, but I also admire it, it's a kind of searching. But here, it just felt, you know, that it was all reaching without any real sense of how to get there. I think my experience of watching with Agnino films is, I saw I Am Love, which which I kind of liked, though it also felt kind of awkward. Though there there's this very moving dialogue about, you know, a, a young lesbian's feelings. And, mm. you know, I think uh, uh, Tilda Swinton plays the unavailable, the emotionally unavailable mother, if I'm remembering correctly. I also saw the remake of La Piscine, with uh, Ray Fines, in which you know I loved Ray Fines in that, you know, but again, the film yeah had mm. awkwardnesses and but actually I, I also didn't mind, and then you know, call me by your name, I really loved it, you know, and I, I i i my normal expectation would have been to not respond as I'm doing because actually I am responding the same way that you know, friends of mine <laughs> were responding to uh, Call, me by, uh, call me by Your Name, right? Like, you know, I thought oh, that's so unfair. There's different ways of being gay and blah, 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 and you're, you're making all these defenses for the film. But whereas I saw this one now and I felt, you know, anyway, I wouldn't have wanted to react the way I do. It certainly isn't a, preconcep- a, a prejudice against whether you know films or anything like that. I mean... I just thought those layers that you seem to admire, mm. you know, that you're attempting to make connections between those things, to me, it felt pretentious, overburdening, not very well connected to the story, if connected at all. I still haven't figured out how it really connects. I mean, if you wanted to make a film about the connections between Bader Meinhof and Nazis, why not make that film?
0: The thing I really um, respect about the new one is that it takes what are. Like I say, not even themes of the original film, but flavours. And actually tries to mine them for thematic depth and possibility. So I said to you, when we found out that the second one was so much longer than the first, I said, how do you make that film into two and a half hours? You, know? you
1: put a lot of Nazis and Bader Meinhardt into <laughs> it. That's the answer. Right? And yeah.
0: don't connect it. Like, I, think, I, th- I think for the most part it filled the time pretty well. It, you know, it, actually, it, it made sense that, that it was getting its length out of that premise. Because it really is just the premise that it takes. you know, The premise and the bare bones of the story. And it changes so much beyond that. And the thing that I... The bit of the film that I like the most is... And I just went looking for the line on Google. Is when Dakota Johnson's lying in bed. Having screwed up the... Dad, did, was it she screwed up? The vote dance goes wrong, right? The girl breaks her leg. Um, and Tilthman comes in to see her. And Dakota Johnson says, Why is everybody so ready to think the worst is over? Yes, and there's this great thing in that line, and that's where I think it links to today as well, because this film was made in the middle of the Trump years, mm. and I think you know anything that, these films that are made in the middle of the Trump years, despite the fact we are now out of the Trump years, and so these kind of sentiments have very quickly I think lost a lot of that power. They really, really speak to the feeling that we had in those Trump years of you know how much worse things can get, and that speaks to back in 1937 the 40 years before the film is set well let me let me
1: well, let me throw something at you because you see if you wanted to make the film like that you could have connected the story to anything um, contemporary because you know it's not as if in the 20th century you know the Jewish Holocaust was the only Holocaust that we've had mm. right like You know, we had the Armenians before and then, you know, Cambodia. And so, I mean, you know, it seems like every 10 years somewhere in the world, yeah, there's kind of like some mass killing of an ethnic group or, you know, or a minority of some kind, you know. So to set it in Germany, to set it in those two particular periods, yeah, if what he wanted to do was like through this story, because... You have to think, why choose Suspiria anyway? What does Suspiria bring to an analysis of that connection between the 70s and the 40s? You know, which I, I, I'm still not getting, right? You know, so... It feels we, like you're not trying. No, I am. I've listened <laughs> to you. And you're not giving me anything.
0: <laughs> I gave you a whole paragraph.
1: No, you're telling, you're telling me, you know... That I'm telling you
0: what I got, and you're going... That that he's, well, well
1: you're me. telling me that he's trying to make those links. I know he's trying to make those links, but what did he do with them? And you well, I mean, agree a, with me. You, you well, said no, I mean, you it's,
0: an, it's an expression of the cultural past that we live with and the feeling of not getting rid of them. And that line, why is everybody so ready to think that the worst is over? The feeling of, you know, like where we are now, things can't possibly get worse. Well, actually, they can. There are all these kind of paths well, laid out ahead of you, and so many of them are worse.
1: Well, I, I mean, I agree that, you know, I agree with that sentiment, <laughs> you know, but how the film works it out thematically, I don't see it. I don't get it. Mm -hmm. you know so you know that's an interesting line in the film but you know where does the big blow up with all the witches come in relation to that idea if if that's a central idea in the film I don't see it you know the same way that I don't understand because you know so you made the connection between that scene and the scene with Joseph at the end and you know based on the casting yeah yeah Um, but also you know I, well, at least now, from you saying that line. The, interesting thing, the line in the other scene was, you know, we don't need your we don't guilt need, or your shame. Yeah, we need guilt and we need shame, but not from you. But not from you. So... <laughs> um, well, actually, I have misread the line because I think this thing about needing guilt and shame uh, is an interesting kind of thing. Is that what the film is saying? But then, you know, what does that... All that dance with the witches and the last number
0: have to do with, you know, guilt and shame. Uh, well, the dancing after she's exploded, all the witches who have No, and the
1: them. moment that they're all exploding and, you know, she kisses them all and the devil comes out. I don't get, you know,
0: I don't get it. She's got the devil on her side. She's powerful. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the line about needing um, guilt and shame, but not from you, I, I quite like because I read that as, as setting the doctor free. Like yes, she's, no, she's, I like that. As well. She's she's t- she's told the doctor it's
1: the nice. truth
0: about what happened to his wife, and he will forgive for that. And then immediately lets lets him free of it by removing all his memories. Yeah, yeah. Although I did then think, you know, he's going to be treated as an outsider's patient and be sent to a hospice. Like <laughs> he could be better. For well,
1: him. I think he only erased the the memories of the coven's.
0: Yeah, but the, the the nurse comes in. and He says, "Who are you?" I know, but then and then you're like, "Oh God, it's going to go very badly for him." <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, um, let's wrap it up, really. So, what your last paragraph on it?
0: I've, they're both worth watching once. The original film is so easy to see why it's as renowned and influential and respected as it is. Mm. Um, I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone say, but beyond that, it's pretty thin, isn't it? And I think it is.
1: Well, I'm not sure it is. I'm not saying that it isn't, mm. but I'm not sure that it is. But... I found it visually and conceptually dazzling, right? Like, you know, it's a real kind of filmmaker with control of his medium, who's if not his means, you know, who's making it. I really did find it, like, you know, gobsmacking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, literally, I, you know, went wow several times. So, I loved it. I'm not sure I'd see it again either, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I'm not that interested myself, personally, in the genre. But... Uh, the Guadagnino one upset me.
0: Uh. (laughs) Well, the Guadagnino one, I would say, I respect its ambition and I respect, you know, what it's, what it's drawn out of what I think is very thin original material and where it's found places to kind of insert themes of its own interest. I do think you do have to uh, meet it more than halfway in building out those kind of metaphors and links for yourself. Mm. Um, it, it could it could be a better made film, but there are lots of things I liked about it.
1: You're so generous.
0: Well, you, you're just uh, you yeah, know you're tired. It's gone midnight, and you're grouchy and neat <laughs> and a glass of oval tea. That's probably true.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: All right, thank you very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at
0: the movies, and we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and the website is movies dot com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye bye. Thank <laughs> you.